thank you very much for joining our talk this morning during your tea time. I hope you've all got a cup of coffee or a cup of tea. Um, and it is about the advantages and impact of cyber insurance on incident response. And um, myself, Raymond Dupassi and Tekofatsu, I will be talking to you. So I'm going to give a little bit of an intro, but the main part of the talk will be Tseho talking about the incident response side of, of cyber of cyber insurance. Um, so yeah, just uh, by way of an agenda, brief introduction um, to the two of us, then we'll go over, uh, give you an overview of cyber insurance, the advantages of cyber insurance, and then the main part of the talk, which is what Tech is gonna talk about is about incident response and the things you need to think about um, in your incident response processes if you have cyber insurance or considering taking out cyber insurance. And then we're gonna close it out with Tech giving an overview of um, an approach you can take to looking at your cyber insurance and thinking about the impacts and advantages um, within your own organization. So, yeah, we hope you'll get something out of it um, and we hope you enjoy um, the session. So let's get going. So just about uh, um, the two speakers, uh, as I said, my name is Jeremy Duplessis. I'm from uh, Mobis Consulting. My main experience relevant to cyber insurance is assisting organizations assessing mm -hmm. their cyber insurance the cyber insurance policies and looking at the impacts, also looking at the gaps um, and also sort of advising them on, on things that they need to be doing in order to um, make the most benefit out of your the, the, the cyber insurance and then um, the activities and controls and things that they have to have in place in order to adhere to cyber insurance. And I am an ISACA member as well. So Teho, if you can just introduce yourself briefly. Thank you, Ray. Um, good morning, everyone. As Ray mentioned, my name is Tseho. I'm a security, senior security consultant at Mobius Consulting. And what qualifies me to come and speak to you guys today on this topic is um, my experience in both um, incident management as well as cyber insurance. So I've had the pleasure of assisting some of our clients in developing and reviewing the uh, incident management processes. Um, as well as helping them facilitate their incident simulations through gamification and also doing some work in developing um, cyber digital incident investigation processes and also reviewing cyber insurance requirements um, for our clients. Thank you. Perfect. Thank you, Sehu. All right, so as I said, I'm not going to speak a lot. I'm just going to speak, just set some context and go over a couple of overview slides. And then Sehu is going to get into the, the more of the depths of the talk around the incident response process, which is what we specialize in. Just, just a caveat around um, Sehu and myself, we are not lawyers. Uh, we are, as you can see from our designations and our certifications and the fact that we are SARCO members, we specialize in cyber cyber security, um, incident response processes. So if you have questions, legal questions, we might not be able to answer them. Yeah, we look at it from um, using cyber insurance as an advantage and how that impacts on your on your process. So that's just a little bit of a caveat there. Um, just yeah, high level, so just an overview of cyber insurance. So where did it all start? So um, way back um, before we had all of these things like ransomware attacks and denial of service attacks, you used to be able to take out what they called internet insurance or web insurance or IT insurance. And it really used to cover just um, what they call errors and emissions um, in your digital uh, in your digital. 
uh, market. So if you sort of you know had the wrong pricing on an item that you advertise on the internet um, to cover that type of thing. Um, so it wasn't really geared towards cyber incidents and what we face today. But over time, it, it evolved and, and cyber insurance started taking uh, form when the cyber incidents started having major impacts on organizations and obviously you know, resulted in major financial losses or production downtime and that type of thing. And, um, and they were, in the beginning, they were, you know, they didn't cover a lot of different types of incidents and, and they were very, I uh, suppose, stringent in terms of the controls you had in place. Um, and they've evolved. I mean, the, the modern day cyber insurance policy is generally uh, a completely standalone product. You can you know, buy from major cyber insurers um, or insurance companies, business insurance companies. They are completely customizable um, to your own environment. And they generally are. You know, they obviously look at it from a liability perspective. Um, and definitely something to consider if you haven't already um, definitely something to consider as part of your overall risk strategy and your cyber risk strategy. Um, you know, obviously, as we know, these these modern day attacks such as ransomware and denial of service can have a devastating um, uh, impact on business. So, something to think about is insurance to help um, you know to help you uh, you know, not only cover the the losses, but financial losses and business losses, but also there's some advantages that come with it that um, Tickle's going to explain to us um, in her slides. All right, so um, the factors to consider, and th these are not only factors for yourself, but also that generally insurers will look at, is they'll you know, look at whether you want to cover uh, first party or third party liability. In other words, incidents that happen to you or incidents that happen to you and that affect third parties. So there might be liabilities in your part to protect like personally identifiable information that you process. Um, they'll generally look at the size of the organization, the volume of sensitive data, um, your general controls around, around your infrastructure, um, obviously your annual turnover, obviously they've got to think about the liability on their side, um, and then things like the types of incidents, you know, so often they'll cover certain types of incidents and some will be excluded. As I said in my previous slide, they're highly customizable, so in most cases you can speak to the cyber insurers and they will generally um, tailor something specific to your to your needs. You know, so not every organization deals with, for example, a lot of personally identifiable information. Not every organization has uh, uses the internet for um, yeah, the primary source of revenue kind of thing. So, so they are highly customizable. All right, um, just uh, what cyber insurance covers? Wow, these days just about everything <laughs> or most of the major types of incidents. So data breaches, um, including the costs of things like um, breach management, um, notifying you know, individuals of, of breaches, assisting them with uh, protection of their, of their identity information going forward, um, the cost of setting up the call centers to manage all of that they can cover off on. Um, ransomware and, and, and cyber fraud, including things like um, email-based um, fraud you know, that we're facing today, and obviously ransomware, including paying the ransomware in some cases, but there's obviously cautions around that. Uh, they usually cover off un unauthorized access and use of data, um, and, and obviously, as I said previously, network and system interruptions. So if you have like a denial of service type attack or ransomware that brings down your business. So they, they are very broad in their coverage. Um, and obviously, yeah, they, they, are, they, they generally cover off most of the types of incidents that would have uh, an effect on, on, on your business. Um, what type insurance doesn't cover? And so these are the things where I usually get quite involved in, in when I'm reviewing cyber insurance 
uh, policies with, with our clients is to look at what they don't cover um, so that the organizations can then think about the additional risk mitigations they can take. In other words, maybe having you know, some additional cash put aside um, to cover off on certain types of incidents or um, putting in additional mm -hmm. controls um, so you know, having that sort of risk-based approach. So you know, they generally don't, they generally won't include you know future loss. They won't, mm -hmm. yeah, they won't include um, uh, coverage of reduction in the value of organisation. You know, due to things like death and that type of thing, because that's very difficult, I suppose, to calculate. Betterment they won't cover. Social engineering in some cases, depending. Um, acts of war terrorism. That's an interesting one because, as we know these days, you know. Uh, um, state-based um, or state-sponsored cyber attacks are on the rise. So that's quite an interesting one to think about. Um, recklessness and negligence on behalf of the executives are not usually covered, but gen they generally do cover you know, negligence on behalf of your employees. So that's just something to think about. And then they obviously won't cover retrospective incidents. In other words, you can't take out insurance today and claim for something that happened. You know, last year kind of thing so just some of the things to to think about you know when you look at your cyber insurance cover um but you know as with most business agreements um yeah the limitations and liabilities um and exclusions are all negotiable and if you've got enough money you can obviously cover most in the same uh, most instances of, of what needs to be covered or you want covered all right so that's enough of the the high level um i'm going to hand over to Tsekho is going to go into the more interesting part of this discussion around the advantages of cyber insurance. So over to you, Tsekho. Can I you just let me know when I need to go over to the next slide? Okay, you can jump over to the next slide, Ray. So thank you, Ray. Um, obviously, apart from, you know, the main advantage of uh, having certain costs related to the incident um, covered as part of you know, the cyber insurance contract, um, other advantages, you know, include having um, experts readily available to you um, to provide advice on matters pertaining to, you know, technical aspects of the incident, um, forensic expertise, which, you know, may otherwise be expensive, as well as legal support, um, you know, in instances where the incident does maybe need to go to court. Um, as part of the contract you, contract, you may also, you know, gain access into like additional services that will assist, you know, with the limitation um, of information loss and thus money. Uh, this includes, you know, access to data restoration services, um, as well as incident response services, right? And also uh, in the event of, uh, you know, attacks such as ransomware, you may also get access uh, to cyber extortion uh, negotiators, you know, who may be available to you uh, to, you know, limit how much you get, you actually get extorted if it actually does come to that. Okay, so now I'll just be taking us through some of the potential impacts that we need to consider when um, getting cyber insurance. Okay. So, as with all insurances, you know, the insurer will most likely, um, you know, want to assess the per prospective environment. And this may be done through, you know, conducting a due diligence process. Um, and, you know, these are the various factors that we need to consider um, as and when taking up uh, cyber insurance. And once your policy is actually in effect, 
um, the one thing that you know your insurer may actually impose on you is the use of pre-approved and pre-vetted vendors and third parties that the insurer actually prefers to use in the event of an incident. And again, as mentioned, if you have uh, access to certain expertise or expert um, services, they may have a list of preferred vendors um, for you to use. Now, the catch-22 with this is that obviously given the geographical location of these vendors, as well as their actual internal processes, um, this can actually limit, you know, um, or have an adverse effect on your actual response timelines. Okay, so that's just something to consider. And also, um, obviously, because the insurer covers most uh, incident-related costs, um, they may actually require that, you know, with any cost that is likely to, you know, uh, come out as a result of res um, responding to an incident that, you know, you require prior consent from them. So you're not just, you know, agreeing and signing off on things without actually, you know, checking with them if you can actually, um, you know, proceed. And if it is a cost, they, they'll, they'll be willing to um, reimburse you. Okay. Um, other processes also within the organization may be affected, and those also need to be accounted for. So again, you know, if you're going to be using forensic expertise from your insurer, then perhaps the internal organization's um, forensics incident management process may need to be updated, you know, to factor mm -hmm. in when and how um, your insurer's processes are actually affected. And how all of this then affects, you know, your overall incident response process, you know, um, obviously, in order to limit any losses and damages incurred, your insurer, you know, may need to be informed of an incident within certain timelines. Uh, they may also require that they actually participate throughout the entire incident um, response process. And, you know, those are the kind of things that also need to be updated in um, your actual incident response or incident management process documents. Okay, so now I'll just be taking us through, you know, how an insurance contract may also affect your um, incident management process as a whole. Okay. So what we're seeing here is a typical incident response um, process, right? Um, so I'm not going to necessarily go through each one. Um, this is a generic incident response process. But what I am going to look at is how you know, the existence of a sub-insurance policy may actually affect um, this process at each stage. Okay. Now, starting with awareness, um, right? Can you just click for the next? Sorry. <laughs> Thank you. Starting with awareness. Um, obviously, as mentioned, you know, um, the existence of the insurance policy, you know, may affect how your internal organizations um, processes, um, you know, actually interact or need to align with the insurer. So you know, obviously then every role player within the incident response process needs to know, you know, how their role and responsibilities actually change in relation to uh, the sub-insurance policy, 
Okay. And from a communications perspective, you know, again, as mentioned, it is important to communicate with your insurers at each stage of um, the process. And that's what we'll look at now um, in detail. Just before we continue, we are getting a couple of questions. So we will answer the questions afterwards, if that's okay with everyone. Okay. Okay. Cool. Um, so the first one that we're going to look over is um, identification. So in the event that, you know, there is a potential or an actual incident, um, it, it's important to actually contact and notify the insurer of, you know, any potential incident, just so they're kept in the loop. And also it's, it's important for us to identify what those triggers are. So we know exactly when and how to inform um, the insurer, okay? And over and above, we need to um, make sure that we align our overall incident response process to that of the insurer, okay? And make sure that, you know, once an incident, an actual incident is declared, you know, everything is aligned and we're not necessarily in breach of, you know, any, um, agreements that we may have had with um, the actual insurer, okay? So from an incident handling and response perspective, we just need to make sure that, you know, uh, again, as mentioned, we make use of the insurer's um, pre-approved uh, vendors or, you know, expertise if, you know, that is what we're trying to um, sorry, if uh, we're trying to make use of their actual expertise, then uh, we just need to make sure that throughout the handling process, we're not going out, you know, um, reaching out to vendors that are not necessarily on the pre-approved list. Um, also, in some instances, we may need to use the insurer's um, public relations team. Um, you know, this is in instances where we need like breach notification or breach communication, okay? And then from a recovery perspective, um, as I mentioned before, you know, during the recovery process, we just also need to account for any costs that are actually incurred during that process. So just make sure that you stay within those agreed costs. Um, and also, where possible, make use of your insurer's technical team and uh, data recovery services, because obviously they have a vested interest in making sure that um, costs are, limit, uh, are limited. So, you know, they may actually provide you with the best service in terms of making sure that, you know, uh, the recovery process is expedited and costs are limited, as I said, or losses are limited. Okay. And post the actual um, incident, you know, uh, once we're actually reviewing the aftermath of the incident, you, this is maybe where you might want to include your insurer's uh, forensics expertise, okay? And, you know, like I mentioned, in instances where legal action needs to be taken, uh, this is where you, you might want to actually consult with your insurer's um, legal team or legal services that they may have um, available to you for use, okay? Obviously, there are other, you know, factors and other, you know, processes that are affected um, as, you know, a result of actually having a cyber insurance policy, um, but these 
need to be reviewed on a case-by-case -case basis. So this is not necessarily everything, but there is one thing that, or two things that we need to, you know, always keep in mind. The first one is to make sure that we update and align the actual incident management um, process or any other related processes um, to align to what we have agreed with the cyber insurer. And also in events where we're actually running simulation exercises, we also, you know, practice, um, you know, those triggers and actually include everything that relates to involving your cyber insurer so that in the event of an actual event, um, we know exactly how and when to um, call in the, the, the cyber insurer. Okay, so now we're just gonna quickly look at the approach that we at Mobius generally follow when assessing um, a cyber insurance policy. So generally, um, we just, you know, at a very high level, look at the coverage of the insurance uh, of the of the insurance um, policy so obviously this is where we evaluate the scope of the policy consider what is and isn't covered you know and Ray went through some of those factors um, obviously as with all other um, policies we look at the timing and duration of the coverage uh, just to make sure that you know you're aware of when you might need to actually review um, the actual policy also, uh, importantly, we look at the incident types, okay, as again, Ray touched on a few of those. Um, it's important to evaluate what incidents are actually not covered under that policy and make um, contingencies for those um, incidents. Also, you know, just look at the advantages or so what it is you're getting as part of, um, you know, the, the, the whole policy. Um, hopefully you're getting more um, advantages, you know, um, as opposed to, I guess, disadvantages in having that uh, particular policy in, in place. And also, we look at regulatory requirements. Obviously, this will vary depending on um, the organization and where it actually operates. Um, and based on those various juris jurisdictions, jurisdictions, um, there may be, you know, regulatory requirements that need to be considered. And overall, with all these, you know, said and done, we um, need to account for how we need to, you know, change or update our incident response processes, our incident response management um, policies, or any other processes that are related to incident response, so that they align to the overall insurance or cyber insurance um, contract. Okay, um, I think we have about four minutes left. So are there any questions? I know Ray said there were some questions in the chat. Yeah, so first of all, thank you very much, Seho. I think that the last two slides were, you know, what we were trying to get across, which was, you know, the incident response process and thinking about the impacts and advantages. Um, of cyber insurance and, and how those fit in. Um, and then, you know, just the overall approach to how you can go about looking at your cyber insurance and thinking about the impacts on your organization. So thank you very much. Some very interesting questions coming through. So first of all, from Sandika. Uh, no, first of all, oh, I can't you read who this is from. I think it's Lorene. 
Would sub-insurance cover regulatory fines and penalties that result from regulatory breaches? The answer to that is generally no. You cannot take out sub-insurance to prevent um, a legal case being held against you. Otherwise, it would be a simple case of everyone taking out sub-insurance and the law would be pretty mute, I suppose. So generally, the answer is no, um, especially if it results in a criminal act or criminal procedure. You can't take out any insurance to prevent you from, from, from the law of the land, unfortunately. Um, however, it can uh, help in terms of the legal fees. Um, so, so that's where that's where the advantage comes in. From from Sandico, we've got. Can you please give us an example of insurers that provide cyber insurance? I, I don't think I would want to do that. There's quite a few of them. If you just go onto the internet and type out cyber insurers, um, you'll come up with a, a long list of cyber insurers. Um, that are out there um, the alternative is to work through your existing uh, company insurance and they will generally have partners that they can partner with so i'd be a little bit reluctant to put out a name um, out there but generally most of the you know big company insurance companies do provide cyber insurance um, these days so sorry if i can't give you a name i don't feel it would be fair and um, the next one from nicole is um what are some of the gaps you have seen in cyber insurance contracts yeah i think the biggest gap is organizations are just not looking at at you know how the how, how they need to adapt their processes to to sort of align to the cyber insurance require requirements especially around notifying them of an incident or even a potential incident um, I think other gaps are you know, not thinking about things like breach notifications. Those can become extremely expensive. Um, and sometimes I do think that the, the cyber insurers don't provide enough of, of, of a coverage for that. Um, I'm trying to think what else. Um, I think sometimes the, 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 the partners that the cyber insurers um, sort of, uh, or, or yeah, the partners that they want you to use may not fully understand your organization and the way they work. So I think uh, companies need to take that into consideration if they're going to make use of those partners. So the forensic investigators or the public relations people, I think you need to think about how you go about doing that. So there's some uh, additional effort that needs to be put in place to prepare for that type of thing. And then from Ishak, is there a rough order of magnitude formula that can share for how costs are is determined? Um, I, I don't have those formulas, unfortunately, Ishak. I wish I did, because that would be great. But obviously, you know, the, the insurers have got those formulas and they sort of know it's based on um, all their years and years of experience of, of liability versus cost versus uh, I suppose number of incidents versus you know the risk exposure. I'm supposed to be similar to personal insurance, you know. Um, yeah, they look at your exposure versus what, what they're trying to cover. Um, and then uh, Isha goes on to say, I'm trying to wrap my mind around how that would work for my organisation, where the insurance need might might be more than value of the insurance company. Yeah, that <laughs> exactly. So so that's something. I mean, they will insure. Yeah, you know, in the case like that. Um, you know, depending on the liability, they they will insure you up to a certain point, and then after that, that's where you got to think about okay, how will I compensate for that gap? Um, uh, absolutely, especially some of the massive organisations that we have uh, around the world, um, the value of the organisation might be more than the value of the insuring company. So obviously, in a case like that, they would look at it and say, yeah, to what extent would they be willing to cover you? So that's a fascinating question. I haven't seen that question before. Thank you, Ishak. Um, I'm not sure if there are any other questions. No, I think we're out of time already. So, so thank you very much for everyone who participated. I hope you got something out of it.
Um, and yeah, thank you very much. Thanks, uh, Teho. Thank you.